हेलो वेलकम टू द सेल्फ लर्निंग पॉडकास्ट बाय डॉक्टर सुषमा सिंह लेट अस स्टार्ट डिस्कशन ऑन यूनिट 16 इंटरेस्ट ग्रुप्स एंड पॉलिसी मेकिंग एंड आवर टॉपिक इज करेक्टरिस्टिक्स ऑफ इंटरेस्ट ग्रुप्स नंबर डेंसिटी एंड रिप्रेजेंटेशनल डोमेन on the basis of its number one can classify interest groups into small medium and large olson has mentioned three categories of interest groups on the basis of their political constituency privileged intermediate and latent in a privileged group one member who gains enough privately from public good to be willing to supply it on its own if necessary such groups are generally small but this is not always so it is constituted in any industry that benefits from a tariff such as reliance or a trade union which is part of the political party such as all india trade union congress or the Indian National Trade Union Congress it may also have professional or occupational groups such as the mazdoor kisan sangharsh samiti mkss or the sugar mill owners association the intermediate group is not privileged but sustains its collective action on the basis of the mutual watchfulness over each other's behavior such as the teachers association which is divided right from the elementary higher secondary school level and to the college and the university teachers associations each functioning in its own small area and with weak participation olson finds that the collective action is ensured through a process of threats promises and the conditional cooperation the third type of interest group is neither privileged or intermediate but is more or less non existent olson prefers to call it latent as the interest of this group though being specific and important does not help to consolidate people into a group this may include the unemployed group of people consumer associations or senior citizen groups like as care or help as india one can include groups like people for animals this kind of interest groups may dra- deliver certain benefits to its own members and thus to prevent free ride they offer these benefits only to those who become members maglin has offered another three ways classification of interest group they are producer groups consumer groups and altruistic group out of these the first category of producer groups may be the strongest since they control the forces of production which if withdrawn from the market may lead to a major problem for people this includes the factory owners trade unions and the farmers 
if they withdraw their produ produce which is some or the other form of a tangible commodity like a produce or labor will bring immense pressure on the government. The second group is weaker than the first one since a consumer cannot withdraw from the market something that they exclusively control. Altruistic groups may be even weaker since they neither have the spur of self-interest nor the drive for controlling some tangible produce. Thus, Maclean has observed that they may fit into Olson's latent or some in intermediate groups also. The producer group of Maclean may fit into any of the Olson's category. What is brought out as an empirical observation is that fewer the members in a producer group the more likely it is to be privileged and consolidated. As Ophi and Western conclude their interests are more likely to be protected in lobbying. Now let us move to the next point. How are they different from political parties? Parties have been performing the following function in their main drive for interest articulation, structure the vote, integrate and mobilize mass public, recruit political leaders, organize government, formulate public policy and aggregate interests. Starting in the 1970s but becoming more apparent in the 1980s was the increasing insignificance of the party system in their main task of mobilization and articulation of interest. In the post-independent phase of the developing countries, parties were not able to resonate the people's aspirations and were proving to be an alienated and disarticulated group of citizens. Parties had also lost their respect and importance. The former demarcation in which the parties remained at the center and the interest groups were placed at the periphery of de decisional authority was turned the other way round. The major dent into the strata of political parties came from the rise of the Western European state in which interest articulation became the task associated more with the professional groups rather than the political parties. This rise of new corporism has tended to undermine the political party system of liberal democracies and polit. The case of West Germany could be understood as somewhat different as the parties have retained their mediating role in policy formulation even in the midst of strong presence of organizational groups. 
Besides the neocorporism of the West European countries, the rise of cause groups centered on a single issue or narrow cluster of issues is another threat to parties. Issues like environment, labor, gender, color and caste cut across the traditional divisions of parties and as a result most parties are not in a position to articulate clear position on these activities. This pushes the creation of special interest groups in which parties are rather post facto followers rather than the leaders. Another reason that has contributed to the rise of interest groups is a social life that they have been providing to their members. Earlier time offered these parties as the only place for like-minded people to socialize, but later on with the rise of the affluence and increased choices for quality socialization members became more associated with the group outside the parties. This development was not sudden, but it was an outcome of a long and sustained failure on the part of the political parties to divert attention from their petty regional and personal politics to issues of economic development and poverty eradication. This resulted in the complete failure of the first and second development decade declared by the United Nations. Two developments can be seen as the threat through the position and the central role of the parties. Alain Ware mentions the first as the rise of liberal or neo-corporatism in the Western European countries. This brings together channels of interest groups towards a more intimate contact between the government and their own members. This resulted into these groups policing their own members to muster support for agreements they make with the government. The second development has been the rise of the cause groups which have focused and combined people in support of a single cause. These groups have always been there and have played an important role in the freedom movement of India. In Britain, the anti-corn league was one such important non-party coalition. A greater part of this development can be attributed to the frustration with the rightist structures of the state in which the elites controlled the party structure. The protest against this centralization and monopolization of public interest by political parties began with the demand for the democratization of the public Labour Party structure in 1970s. Much of the agenda for change came from the left 
of the central groups composed of poor communities, aborigines, subalitarians and the environmentally affected groups. The increasing public frustration of the people about political parties not disclosing their clear position on several developmental and economic policies has encouraged them to form groups to pursue their interests. In India, the rise of several farmers and fishermen groups against the globalization of agriculture and coastal fisheries respectively is directly linked to the slimy politics played by the political parties. The example of the well-known and almost legendary group Narmada Bajau Andolan and later the National Alliance for People's Movement is an indication about the disenchantment of built around most of the emerging single caste groups. These groups focus on the issue of mega projects and rehabilitation of the displaced communities. These are two direct consequences of their action. While the first factor resulted in the consolidation of the rightiest structures or corporate lobbies for staking a claim in the share of the public policy, the second factor led to the rise of people's movement to protect the peoples affected by anti-environmental and anti-people policies and hold the government accountable for it. One interesting example is the rise of a strongly consolidated group of industrialists and miners under pincode in the USA called People's First to counter the claims of those environmental lobbies demanding the state to adopt the environmental laws to protect and conserve species and their habitat. These single issue group activities mostly cut across party lines as the animal rights activism, abortion law and environmental conservation. Thus collective action becomes more complicated than what it was under the truly party regime and even weakens party agendas and organizational unity. Beginning from the pacifist movement against the first world war of the Brandon Russell, in which none of the political parties supported him to the campaign for nuclear disarmament. During the 1950s and 1960s, in which political parties had to join the movement to make themselves effective for electoral victories. To sustain themselves in power parties found it more appropriate to use a fully rip movement or hijack a challenging group protest for its own personal gains of sustaining in power. Single issue groups have come to occupy territory which parties might have occupied.
Maclean has mentioned another factor that has led to the weakening of the party agenda. This is the merging of political idealism with social activity. In earlier times, party organization provided a good meeting and socializing opportunity to the party workers and like-minded peoples. With the rise of alternative recreational means, coupled with the increase of influence and shorter work hours, the parties were unable to provide for the kind of freedom which its member wanted to have. Maclean has also pointed out the campaign for nuclear disarmament as an example of the change occurring in the society which widely displaced the rigid party loyalty among workers. One cannot deny the interaction between the vote power and the lobby power. Parties have successfully utilized the consolidated unity of the cause groups for its own benefit. Thus, as Oslon formulated in his calculus of consent, parties seek electoral support from these groups and in return represent their agendas and policy. Decision hereby taken provide favorable policies to group which send representatives in the parliament. This study of the linkages between the vote power and the lobby power suggests two outcomes. First, consumer interests are never adequately represented. Second, the number of members in a group is no assurance for the pressures which the group may bring upon the parties. For example, a small group of telecommunication firm can press regulatory reforms and liberalization of services upon the otherwise conservative government whereas a large number of university teachers may just not have any impact upon the insolent liberal government. Sometimes rational choices takes over the public choice like in the study of the regulation of Railways Act 1844 pushed through parliament by W. E. Gladstone, president of the board of trade despite opposition from the railway companies. It was described as not a normal politics because normal politics is a politics of distributional coalition in which producer groups secure monopoly privileges from governments at the expense of consumers. As regulations happen to be the test band for the success of the public administration, it may safely be concluded that interest groups have remained successful in hijacking policies and distorting regulatory norms of the state. 
Now let us wind up the session and take rest. Thank you very much for engaging yourself with the self-learning podcast.